We're uh, we're ready to do our first ever remote podcast for Van Nelson. So excited to try to figure this out as we work through the coronavirus and work it separately. So um, I miss seeing you, miss seeing you in the office, but we're going to give this a roll this week. How's that sound? That sounds fantastic, Dan. Perfect. So, so Chris, it's been, uh, you know, since we recorded uh, and, and we've relocated out of the office, we've relocated into our homes, um, we've, we've quite a bit happened. And just in the last, uh, last couple of days, we've seen the development of a $6 trillion plan, uh, $4 trillion in lending, $2 trillion in aid. Uh, you know, we're seeing massive balance sheet expansion. So my first question to you is, you know, right away, you know, do you think this is enough? One, and then two, um, you know, what, what's, what's the impact you're seeing out there or what's the implied impact in the future is going to look like? Yeah, no, you know, I'll use a, a, a tired term at this point. It was necessary but not sufficient. So, you know, when they originally were talking about providing support of, of $1.3 to $2 trillion, uh, and we had noted, that, you know, that's just a drop in the bucket. Um, I would say the same thing about this $6 trillion. It's a good start. Um, it is definitely getting both a backstop in commercial paper, buying mortgages and treasuries, and also beginning to buy corporate uh, paper has been helpful. It's dampened volatil- volatility. It's given you know markets a reason to bounce. Uh, but we're still very, very early in this fight against the virus, as well as just offsetting the damage done to liquidity. Yeah, so, you know, as we start looking out at, you know, some of these programs, you know, particularly if we look at, you know, the Fed's liquidity backstops, right, are you seeing any uh, improvements to begin, particularly let's, look at, let's start in the credit market? Uh, yeah, no, the credit markets are improving. So we've seen volatility dampen as it relates to interest rates. Um, we've seen credit begin to flow. So we've seen corporate issuance kind of begin slowly uh, to increase, whereas maybe two weeks ago when a corporate was issued, um, you know, it would trade down days later. And so that's just a very poor price signal for money to come in. Uh, but we're very much in the camp right now where those that are aggressive, uh, aggressive traders, um, are certainly getting, you know, very long equities and long credit. There's a belief that the Fed's all in, they have our back, um, and so it's time to get long. I'm going to remain a little bit skeptical, not because the improvement isn't real, but the way I would try to describe this is we were at record levels as far as our credit bubble. We've pricked that credit bubble. It is broken. And while the Fed has our back on investment-grade corporate debt and they have our back with treasuries and agencies, um, that's not the case in high yield. That's not the case in leveraged loans. And I would describe this as this is kind of our Bear Stearns moment. Um, and we'll, we've yet to see are we going to have an AIG moment or a Lehman moment. For now, it's a Bear Stearns moment. The Fed is clearly moving much faster than they did in the 08 and 09 crisis. Watch the dollar. As the dollar's running much higher, that's a signal the Fed's either behind the curve or the Fed really 
isn't the solution to the issue, meaning it's not just a liquidity problem. And there'll be an inverse correlation between risk assets and the dollar for the time being. Ultimately, that will start to break apart as things thaw. Uh, but I, I think it's w- way too early to, to call the bottom. This is always the reflective bounce when some healing comes comes into the marketplace. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that else has, has come out that is, you know, we haven't seen, we've seen in some other you know, countries, I know Japan has done it for some time, but, you know, the government has stepped in and is, is buying corporate debt. Uh, and, you know, what, what are your, what's your opinion here, uh, you know, as we you know, flip through, you know, FinTwit or, or listen to people on the, on, on the television, you know, what you're saying is, you know, is this a socialization of financial markets uh, with the government stepping in here? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, we've, we've been taking incremental steps down this path for the better part of not just 10 years, but really the last 20 years. So this is the kind of one of the final steps there. And what the Fed is really doing is they're not going to change, and I can't stress this enough, they're not going to change where credit is going to clear, where that price discovery is finally going to end up. All they're doing is providing the liquidity to allow that price discovery to occur in a reasonably calm and orderly fashion. So they're not moving prices higher. That's not what's going to end up happening. Um, and if, if they do, it's because they're going to grow their, you know, their balance sheet closer to that $47 trillion of outstanding dollar-denominated credit, which if that's the case, you know, we, we clearly just have other issues out there. So they're providing an important backstop. They're providing an, an important short-term liquidity, but that doesn't change the structural issues that exist. Um, and to the extent this goes beyond just being our Bear Stearns moment, then you know the next layer of this will be, you know, ending the shadow banking system, and ultimately, you know, you'd be bailing out the pension funds at some point. Right. Um, so. Yeah. No, that's good. It, oh, go ahead. No, I can say you know we'll continue to kind of monitor the that that path and, and see if ultimately that's where we're going to end up. Yeah. So, so you so you mentioned you know that the credit bubble has popped. Right. And, you know, I think uh, some folks, there might be just some confusion here between or, or just some, you know, maybe it's more semantics than anything else. But, you know, this is most certainly not a, a stimulus effort. Right. This is not a pro growth <laughs> movement. Right. And, uh, you know, this is much more just in, in to fill a hole that we've blown out. Uh, and so this can become very deflationary. Right. And, and I was just curious on your thoughts here on, on a deflationary environment operating within it, um, what the behavior of, of this package looks like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that's the big difference. So as you described it, this bill is not stimulus, right? This bill is to backfill lost demand. That's what it's, it's designed to do is let's plug a massive hole within our economy. And, 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 and so inherently, you have two things that are occurring. We have a recession, a true economic recession, and at the same time, we have, you know, have a liquidity recession and, and we've pricked a credit bubble. The, the combination of those two are inherently deflationary. Um, at the same time, just giving where we were in this economic cycle, giving, given the levels of debt within our economy and globally, and given the demographic setup, not only within our own economy, but globally, the world was already deflationary. And so, 
you know, my concern is where uh, I think it would have been a great opportunity to address some of these underlying structural deflationary forces. We really haven't done that. We've tried to plug a short-term hole within economic demand, get money into people's pockets, and at the same time, we are layering another enormous amount of debt onto the system. And when you look at the productivity of our debt in the U.S., you know, we're in somewhat of better shape than the rest of the world, but we only get 40 cents of benefit for every dollar of debt that's being put out. At this point in time, you know, the, the debt that's being put out, I don't think we're going to get any economic benefit out of relative to, you know, 2019 as being the baseline. So adding this much more debt is inherently deflationary. And let me get into a little bit more granular detail about what's really going on. With this demand shock, you have individuals grabbing liquidity, selling assets, right? They're selling, they're drawing down their savings, and they're going to have to replenish that savings. But while that savings is being drawn down, both at the individual level and at the corporate level through lines of credit being drawn down, you have on the margin pensions, insurance companies, and the few investors that had cash rushing to put money to work, right? So while others are taking money out of risk assets and moving it into treasury markets, and if you look at short-term treasuries, they are bid at a negative rate for the next few months. So there is a desperate need to get into safe assets. So while that's going on, you have other investors trying to take advantage of this dislocation and put money to work. So that's why I'm describing it kind of as that Bear Stearns moment where big disruption, big break in credit and in liquidity, and now it's a tug of war between those that need liquidity and need to start drawing on the savings and those that are trying to put incremental money to work. If we go forward a couple of months and that incremental money that's coming in stops and or is underwater and begins to be withdrawn from the market, then we probably run the likelihood of not just retesting lows, but ultimately having uh, much more go beyond the Bear Stearns moment and into some kind of what I've described as Lehman and AIG, just for an analogy for the last cycle. So, you know, the next couple of months are going to be critical. And the question is, is that next stressor going to be because the economy doesn't recover? And if so, when can it recover? Or is there going to be something related to further dislocations in the shadow mark, shadow banking system or just dislocation overseas? So if I'm thinking about this, uh, you know, maybe less as on, a, on a macro perspective, but drilling it down more on how this would relate to a potential portfolio or, or areas of opportunity within a portfolio. You know, I've, are there are there industries, sectors that traditionally experience deflationary um, or, or are typically deflationary just due to the nature of them? And would you, is that a place that you know you would start looking? Yes. Uh, without question, you know, certain industries just operate in a deflationary environment. You know, tech's a prime example of that. Um, and so that's a business model that's constructed for this environment and really for the next 10 years and also happens to be where strong secular trends are. So that's kind of a target-rich environment. 
you really do need to be cautious on valuations uh, because I really think we're moving into this structurally deflationary environment and, you know, you're going to have central banks trying to uh, dramatically increase their balance sheets to offset that. And to the extent they're not successful, you're going to see multiple compression. So, you know, you may have what is called a great growth company, uh, but if that growth can offset, offset the rate of decline in its underlying multiple, you may be disappointed. Um, other areas, you know, outside of tech, you just need to look for um, industries or companies who, by the design of their business model or their competitive advantage or by the niche of the market they're in, aren't going to be subject to these deflationary pressures that are out there. So they'll just kind of continue to behave as if they were in the traditional 2 to 3% GDP growth world, um, and to the extent they're not accessing or needing to access credit, uh, you know, they'll do phenomenal well. And in the last you know, month or so, there's been tremendous multiple compressions. You can imagine we were taking advantage of those kind of instances to get those companies into the portfolio. So when you're looking at specific companies, uh, and I think this is going to be you know, more and more prevalent as we start looking at earnings in, in, you know, for Q1, Q2, Q3, uh, we're going to have a lot more negative earners than, than we have seen uh, potentially ever. You know, so how, how do you start assigning valuations to those companies when, um, you know, again, they're, they're, they're loss makers? Yeah, no, if you have a company that, that loses money um, and certainly has an impaired balance sheet, or an impaired business model, it's actually very easy to value. It's called zero. Um, Perfect. Right. You don't need a lot of a lot of modeling to figure out what that company's going to be worth. And that's the that's the reality of where we are. When I say we've we've pricked the credit bubble, uh, um, those companies are now cut off from credit, um, and the likelihood of them being restored, I think, is very low. Um, and so, again, that's just the price discovery we're going to go through. So if you're interested in getting long their equity, I would encourage you to buy their debt because that's going to – who's going to end up with the equity? Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've seen just in the last few days, you know, a, a, a quite a few bounces, right? And, you know, so we saw a big bounce on Tuesday. You know, yesterday, market stabilized. And again, we're recording this on, on Thursday, 26th of March. So, you know, big bounce on Tuesday, 24th. Yesterday was, was Wednesday was stabilized. Today, um, you know, we're recording uh, markets up, S&P up about 4.5%. Uh, and this is on the back of huge uh, jobless claims, right? 3.3 million jobless claims. You know, we're seeing the markets respond. Do you think we've bought them in terms of the market? Uh, and then can you compare and contrast that market versus the economy. Yeah. So, I, again, keep in mind, like we've said, liquidity drives asset prices, and the Fed is now, you know, increasing their balance sheet at unprecedented rates. So, you know, they've added trillions in a week. So, with the current pace, you know, they'd be three times the size, uh, their balance sheet would be three times the size of U.S. GDP. So we shouldn't be surprised that assets have bounced. Liquidity is flooding the market. We've just gone through a six-week period where people were degrossing, deleveraging, and were forced sellers. Uh, and so we should bounce, and we are bouncing. Uh, 
and similar to all bear market bounces, they're sharp and they're violent. Um, what I would describe it this way is I think we're going through a bottoming process. So markets, just as they top in a process, there's a common statement. Well, you know, they, the bottom's an event. It really isn't an event. So even if we go back to 08 and 09, you know, small caps bottomed in the fourth quarter of 08 and the S&P bottomed in, in March of 09 a few months later. So everything sold off. Now, of the bulk of, of assets are, in fact, rising. Some of this, for certain securities, they will have bottomed. They've already bottomed. They've seen their low. They're not going to come close to retesting that low, and they'll maintain you know, their current intraday prices today. Others will go on to set new lows, and still others you know, may go on to set all-time new highs. So I would look at this as a process. Um, so I, I consider this, you know, we, we used the bounce and strong up day. I think when the market was up more than 8% was a chance to sell. Um, and so we sold some securities into that. At the same time, you know, other than that one day, we've probably been in the market every day, adding two positions and establishing new positions. I do think we're in part of a bottoming process. When I turn and look at the economy, the economy hasn't bottomed. Uh, you know, the jobless claims number today of plus 3 million is what the market was selling off, uh, you know, a month or so ago was telling us was on its way. I would expect the jobless claims next week to be even higher than what they were this week. But the market's discounted that. So the market, in my opinion, is saying, look, we're going to get through the worst of this COVID virus peak patient, peak death in the next, call it two weeks, three weeks. And then on the other side, we will resume some normal, some normalization of economic activity and normalization of work. In my own opinion, as I've said, this is not going to be a V-shaped economic recovery or a V-shaped shaped recovery in markets. We are going to have the sharp sell-off and sharp bounce. We're experiencing that. We're going to have something similar in the, co- in the economy. We're going to draw down inventories, and then we're going to shoot back up. I was looking at some statistics today. You know, in some states, gasoline demand for the last week has fallen 72%. So, you know, when people start driving again, if you go from 100 to 30 and you go back to 100, we're going to show a 300% increase in gasoline demand in a few weeks. That's not a V-shaped recovery because my suspicion is when we look at peak to trough and back to peak, we're not going to come close to those near-term peaks for a couple of reasons. One, some businesses are shut and they're not going to reopen. Two, this is a shock to both corporate balance sheets and to personal income and savings that's been drawn down and corporate savings that's been drawn down. That's going to have to be replenished. Three, corporations are not going to do share buybacks. The cost of debt is too high right now because the vast majority aren't going to borrow at investment grade rates. So buybacks are going to shut down. And if we didn't have buybacks and corporations leveraging up, 
there would have been net selling of U.S. equities for the better part of the last seven or eight years. So I, you know, I consider this a, a healthy bounce, the chance for nervous hands to sell long positions and they can get comfortable. It's a chance for shorts to book profits and kind of reset. Uh, but I don't think we're going to go back to new highs. I'd consider us kind of in the middle of what was going to be a trading range for some time. Yeah, that's helpful. And the last one I'll have for you here, um, you know, given the global uh, pandemic that we're on underneath here and looking out at, you know, some of the, cause some, some countries with uncertainty around the numbers, uh, the impact, what that looks like. If we're thinking again on, on an economic level, on a global economic level, um, is this possible to bottom uh, before coronavirus peaks? And, and, and I say that with the idea in mind that, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to identify what's taking place. Uh, it's just hard to identify what's taking place inside the U.S. and in certain places as well. So um, I'll leave that to you for the last one. Yeah, I think it's difficult for the economic activity to fully recover until there's confidence that we have a solution to learn to live with the virus, whether that's in the form of a treatment, in the form of a vaccine, or in kind of the best the worst best case would be in the form of having the capacity within the healthcare system to treat patients as they become ill. And that's why I think it's really difficult for the economy to fully recover. Uh, because no matter how we feel and how frustrated people are being cooped up right now, I don't think there's going to be as many cruises booked six months from now as there were last year. I don't think there's going to be nearly as much international travel six months from now as there was last year. I don't think there's going to be as much domestic travel as there was, you know, six months ago uh, as well. So inherently a portion of the population, either because of their own fear and concerns or because of an inability to have the funds to do so, there's just going to be less economic activity. And that's an old fashioned recession. And I think, the reason why people may be a bit complacent about what the longer-term implications of this are is everybody's so focused on their own geography, their own economy, and they're looking at the playbooks and going, oh, the Fed has our back, we're going to recover, it's all going to be great. And they're ignoring that the nature of this recession is completely different from anything we've experienced really in the last 70 or 80 years. And the demand shock is going to be so substantial and it's also coming at a time when we have have really broken this unprecedented credit bubble that the combination of the two means it's going to be a long slog out. It, it doesn't mean it's scary. It just means the idea of running off to new highs is incredibly difficult unless the central banks really do keep buying securities at this current rate and move in and start buying not just high yield, but, you know, CNBS and non-agency CNBS and leveraged loans. And I really don't think they want to do that because they would love to see the shadow banking system wound down and all of credit intermediation kind of come back into the regulated banking system. Great. Well, let's leave it at that. Uh, I hope so. Hopefully this thing works out at the recording. And uh, if, if yes, then, you know, we'll, we'll do it again here in, in not too much, uh, not too long. Uh, Absolutely. This senior person, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make this work for the time being. <laughs> Sounds good, Dan. All right. Thanks, Chris. We'll see you. 
views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast, the property of Von Nelson, or used by Von Nelson with permission, and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.